Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got David Harrison back on the show. We've had David on before. David's a longtime industry guy, does a lot of writing, and uh, you know he's, he's been in touch with uh, the fishing industry in a lot of places and, and uh, you know, with a lot of different people. He's, he's, he's definitely got great perspective of the industry from many different angles. The topic here is talking about tournament angling and just what, you know, being involved in tournaments can do for you as an angler, you know, personally. There's definitely opportunities to learn and grow and get better as anglers if you participate in a tournament and get involved in that role, that competitive environment. And Dave does such a great job really breaking down from his perspective, a really good perspective in the industry, like what tournament angling can do for you in your situation and why you should think about doing it. And if you do, what you should be thinking about, what you should be prioritizing, uh, you know, to get into it. And if you do all those things, if you take all these recommendations and you kind of, you know, you, you think about it and it inspires you to get involved with a tournament circuit or, um, you know, or just a tournament that's local, something by you, something that's you can easily jump in and get this experience, you know, what you should expect to get out of it. And I've participated in very few tournaments myself. Um, so I, I can't speak to a whole bunch of experience on my behalf, but I definitely have some uh, experiences that have been very impactful to me uh, that have come from fishing a couple of tournaments and, you know, big or small tournaments. It's all relative. The competition is, is between you and the fish. And I have, I have grown many skills uh, that it takes to become better at fishing for me by fishing a couple of tournaments. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm going on and on here, but, uh, Dave and I are definitely on the same page with this. And Dave has a very well thought out list of details for, uh, tournament angling for the amateur angler, the intermediate angler that, you know, what we can all get out of it. And that's what this podcast is. Uh, Dave's list of details for tournament angling. Let's get to it here. A long intro, but I just wanted to kind of build up the intentions behind this show. Let's get to it. Dave Harrison, we're talking tournament angling. Let's do it. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, Look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. We need to get a little bit of an update. You know, since the last time I had you on, what have you been up to fishing-wise? Um, since we talked last, I've done an entire season of tournament fishing with my nephew and his best friend. Um, this is the Junior High Bass Masters in Kansas. And, and by Junior High, these, these are two eighth graders. 
Um, during the tournaments, I can't fish. I can run the boat. And since it's junior high, I can run the trolling motor, and I can give them ideas, and I can land the fish in a net. Um, and in senior high, I can literally only run the boat and give them ideas. So um, Bassmaster has developed this, this tournament scene um, not only to pull people into the sport. I mean, obviously, you'll, you'll see later about the – the national championships we just got back from um, and, and how well that's run. And, and can you imagine doing some of these national tournaments uh, for Bassmaster at age? I mean, I think the eight, minimum age is eight. Oh, eight man. Or nine. Yeah. And, and, um, and uh, it's just an amazing situation. And it's, it's really cool to watch these kids do what they do because they, they're really good. And then, um, but to do a whole season of tournament fishing. Um, not something that I had done a few tournaments before, quite a few, some big ones, some small ones. I was really close to being a co-angler on the NWT tour, um, for walleye, uh, and then COVID hit. So I, I kind of had a plan to, to go and do some co-angling for that. And, uh, it didn't work out. I've done MWC walleye tournaments, you know, other bass, crappie, I've done catfish tournaments, uh, on the Missouri river, um, you know, hopefully I've, I've boiled this all down to someone, um, you know, really just like you and me, you know, not the top tournament pros, but the people that think they can do it. How about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, have, yeah. I, have, I have 62 ideas for people that want to get into tournament fishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's and that's going to be the entire discussion, uh, you know, uh, for this this whole podcast is is everything that you just said, everything you talked about, this tournament angling, the influence of it, you know, just the reason you and I are, are together on this podcast, because, um, you know, we got in touch recently, you know, collaborating on, you know, what what ideas should we do uh, the next time we have a chance to do a podcast. And um, you came up with this idea. I'm totally on board with it. So, I mean, I'm really going to just give you the reins here moving forward and just sort of let's just talk about this. I mean, I, I might interject. I might interject a little bit, but not very much on the rest of this show just to kind of like, you know, just to kind of maybe poke and prod on some of your ideas. But yeah, yeah. Like, like tell me about like what you feel like are some of the most impactful topics for what tournament angling does for the industry. The number one, I'm going to start with a quote from Jason Mitchell himself. And uh, we were fishing one day. Uh, well, one day I had fished with him. And he said he, said he stopped doing tournaments because he decided he wanted to get paid every day. Now, he's, he's probably done a few since then, but he stopped thinking about becoming uh, like a big-time tournament person. So, so keep that in mind. I'm going to start with that because it's not about the money. In fact, my first section here is reasons not to do tournaments. So that's that's a good one. You, you know, if you want to get paid every day, don't do tournaments. <laughs> now the next one: do not do a tournament if you want to catch fish, because the whole process is about catching the right fish and the big fish, and then finding the fish, and then finding the next group of fish. You'll see that, and, and this has been the hardest part for the junior high kids because, oh yeah, we just caught one here. Aren't there more? Yes, but we gotta go somewhere else. And then I'm like, we got to go to this corner of the lake. And they're like, there's no fish over there. Well, there might be. We haven't checked it. <laughs> prove it. We have to prove it. So if you want to catch fish, you know, go on vacation. Uh, I, you know, I, 
Last year, we went on summer vacation with my nephew. We caught 850 fish in Otter Tail County in a week. This year, we went on vacation to this Bassmaster National Championships. We caught 30 bass. Yeah. So, there you go. If you want to catch fish, don't do a tournament. Uh, if you want a fishing vacation, and I mean, like, uh, again, think about that a week on the lake up in Minnesota, the house, get up when you want. We, we fished a lot. In fact, we fished more in Minnesota than we did at the tournament. Because we had to be off the water every day at 4.30 for practice limits. And we couldn't fish before this tournament because there was a, there was a ban, like a, an off-limits time for the lake to keep everything kind of fair. So literally, we couldn't, we couldn't fish as much as we did on our true fishing vacation. Now, it also wasn't vacation. It felt like work. We were always searching for fish. We were tying knots. I mean, it's very much immersing yourself in fishing. So... Uh, the next one, if you want to hang out with your friends. So the kids' parents and families went along with us. We rented a big house. They never saw us. <laughs> yeah. We were out fishing every day. We were working on the rods. We had a whole room in the house just for rods and reels and lures, and we didn't leave it. They brought us food. I think we swam with them for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to hang out with your friends, uh, if you want sponsors, well... You're not going to get them by doing tournaments anymore. Sponsors, like, I mean, you might get a discount somewhere. Somebody might want to put a logo on your boat. We were laughing because there's a lot of people with wraps on their boats and their trucks, but they do that because they usually have a small business and they write it off and they feel like it's interesting or cool and they like it. And, you know, some of those reasons. I mean, today, these days, you used to be able to call up Hummingbird and say, hey, I won these tournaments and they would give you a bunch of stuff. These days, you have to do work, you have to promote, you're, you have to do marketing stuff. So if you want a lot of sponsors, um, don't do tournaments, be a YouTuber or something that you can do 40 hours a week at. Um, the next one, this one, I mean, obviously you have to do tournaments to become a tournament pro, um, but I, I can promise you fame and fortune is not always guaranteed. <laughs> um, I, I was looking at the Bassmaster results from Lake St. Clair this weekend, and, you know, I know like, 25 of them out of the 104, you know, it's, even if you're in that top level, just like I can't name everyone on every, you know, my, even on the Chiefs, I can't name everyone on the football team. So fame and fortune, you can make money, but most fishermen I know are the most famous poor people <laughs> in the world. <laughs> that is, so, that is so spot on. That is so spot on. Every you know, yeah, it's it's like you, you almost you gotta have like be be mildly successful in some other business or job, and be lucky enough to have the time off or whatever it is. But do you know it's very difficult to plan on being financially dependent on your tournament fishing career. Right, right. You can make it work, and you can. I mean, there's a lot of ways to make it work. You can camp. You can spend no money. You can have a, you know, you don't need a fancy boat. We'll get to some of that. Uh, you want to fish all day, don't go tournaments because you got to end. You got to turn in your fish and you, you can't fish the rest of the day. I mean, literally, we fished more on our Minnesota trip. Uh, and then um, there, there's a few myths about tournaments as well. You know, you think you're, you're good. And, and last time we talked about how to learn fishing how to improve at fishing. And we got to the point where you should be able to catch, you know, you've caught 50 fish on every technique. And most, most walleye tournaments are in the spring. In fact, most tournaments are in the spring. Um, so you, you, you really need to be able to use a, a lot of different techniques 
throughout those months of the year. So we, that's where we ended. Um, at that point, you're, you're like, okay, I'm really good, but uh, your best spots are not good enough because you think you know the lake, but you haven't gone and fished the lake to try and catch the biggest fish. You may have caught a few big fish, but you can't, most people are like, well, I can go out and catch 30 of them tomorrow. Well, that's in the community spot. So your, your best spots as a, as a, as someone who is a, a up and coming pro is not going to be good enough. The next one is you can survive with average fish. You're like, Oh yeah, I can go catch five, five walleyes tomorrow. Yeah. But those, those might be 18 inches, 17 inches, eight, 19 inches. Someone's going to catch something bigger. So you, you really can't survive on those fish. Um, well, although your story and, uh, and truthfully, some of my stories, you, it's a myth that you'll do well off the bat. You won't win your first tournament, right. but, um, there are ways to get around, <laughs> uh, by fishing with pros at the first tournament. Yeah. Um, yes. but, uh, you know, and, and I don't think that you should, most people understand that they, they don't think they're that good. Um, now here's the interesting myth. You don't have that. You actually have to do the tournament. I have gone to lakes where tournaments were happening. You know, I didn't have enough time to pre-fish. I didn't sign up for the whole series. But if you're trying to get into this sport and want to do some tournaments, it certainly doesn't hurt to get on the lake during a tournament and drive around. And then it, it even, you know, a lot of the people that run tournaments, they encourage people to come to the weigh-in and ask questions. And, and so you, you can learn a lot by not even doing the tournament. So tournaments exist for a lot of reasons, and, and hopefully that, that gets us onto some of the same pages. I've got 50 more items on my list. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, man. Keep it going. <laughs> All right. So now, now let's, let's turn the tide. Let's, these are the reasons to do tournaments and why tournaments exist. I know a lot of the people that run the tournaments here in Kansas. Um, so they, they do it for, to get people on the water. They do it for social. You know, these are the small tours, the, the statewide tours. These are not the national ones. But um, the number one, and to pick up from our last podcast, you're an advanced intermediate. I try and write all my articles for people that have enough experience um, to know the basics, um, but are always looking for more information. And to me, an advanced intermediate, you know, you've done a bunch of guide trips. You, you know the basics. And you can, you've caught walleyes on multiple presentations, and you could probably go to a new lake and do okay, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's probably some of the entry-level details um, that I'm going to start with. But the, I think the next thing is you have to want to improve. If you live on a lake and you know all the patterns and where all the fish are and you like going out there in the evening and saying hi to your friends, the fish, and throwing them back and keeping a few for dinner, you know, that's a different experience. You maybe don't want to go travel to a new lake. You don't want to push yourself to, to, to find fish for all the reasons I just said. You know, that's fine. The, the tournaments are not necessarily for you. But if you want to improve, there's a point where these guided trips are not going to teach you anything because you can do it yourself. And you want to challenge yourself to find those fish. So now guaranteed you will, if you're to the point where you will not improve unless challenged to do something new, then you are ready for tournaments because tournaments will force you to be you'll, you'll go to your spot and you'll catch the fish you think you need and then someone's going to catch bigger ones way out on the other end of the lake 
system. Um, you want to you want to see you know there's a competitive part. You want to see where you stand against local anglers or your friends or something like that. That is a fantastic. It's probably not what motivates me as much, but there's a huge group of tournament anglers that that's the number one reason. And um, the next thing is you want to meet the best anglers. So here in Kansas, you know, I just moved here. I didn't know any of the walleye anglers. I knew all the ones in Colorado. So why not sign up and do some tournaments? By the end of that season, you're going to have interactions with them. You're going to see them on the lake. You're going to see them pre-fishing. Maybe you'll go to dinner with them. At some point, maybe you have some email, you know, hey, you did really well. You know, what were you doing? What did you figure out? And most most local anglers and most local tournaments, the people will tell you something. Now, if you want to know a secret, take a kid to a tournament weigh-in, and they can get any information they want. Nice. That's maybe the top thing in here. <laughs> take like a 7- or 8-year-old that really likes fishing, maybe a 10-year-old that can stand up to a, a, an adult and ask them a question. And you know what? No one will turn them down. So, um, you want a reason to fish and travel more, like to go to new lakes. You go to the same lakes within an hour of your house. Uh, I've never been to Wilson Reservoir, so my dad and I signed up for a tournament. We've been saying we should go to Wilson Reservoir for 30 years, and we didn't go until I signed up for the tournament. It kind of made us go. <laughs> right on. Um, you were going there anyways. Like, it was on your plan, and there happened to be a tournament there. Um, another one to do the reason to tournaments, you have a lot of hotel points to use up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm getting to the end of, of this part of my list. Uh, you need a reason to fix your live well or empty it out from whatever is in it. <laughs> um, you should do tournaments. If you only have one friend and you're going fishing, you might as well do a tournament. If you have five or 10 friends, you won't get to fish with them all. So, um, and then I, I do like your, your choice of the, the small time and charity tournaments because you're going to get a lot of this learning just from the nature of the pressures on to bring something to the Right, place. right. Yeah, it, it really kind of has – everything's relative. And so whether you're fishing a big-time tournament or you're just fishing a very, very localized derby on a small lake that's you know 20 or 30 or 40 boats – the competition is all very relative, and it, 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 there's definitely a competition there, and it's 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 not between always between you and other anglers, you know, it's between you and the fish, and so you know, regardless of what the payout is, and regardless of um, you know how big the trophies are, like there's definitely those juices are definitely flowing, and you'll get you, you definitely get those those elements of it, um, you know, even participating in something small, I think. For sure. Now, uh, am I going to sign up for one every weekend or every week? That's that's not for me, but I'm somewhere in between. And, and we're going through all these details um, because, you know, we learned a lot about bass fishing by doing all the tournaments this year. We met a lot of people. Um, we've done the travel. You know, there are a lot of benefits. So, um, Okay, so now, now you, you're into tournaments, and, and here's the other things you're going to gain, the details about fishing that you never cared about before. So the first one is if you're going to travel for these, you know, if, if you go to a, a Tuesday night tournament, this one's not as big. You need to trust your boat. You know, I don't have a brand new boat because <laughs> um, you spend money to go on. This, this accounts for vacation as well. You spent money to get there. It needs to be in good shape. It needs to not fail. You know, you're, you're going to be very disappointed if you paid that entry fee and you didn't get the fish. 
system. Um, but that means I really learned by doing some of the, you know, working with, with some of the NWT pros, they have spares of everything. They, they spare trolling motors, spare props, every piece of that boat, they have extra spares in their truck and sometimes two or three. And that's just, they may not have done it that first year, but they will tell you the times when they broke something and they added it to their list of what they carry around with them. So for me as a, as a non NWT pro, I definitely put together a boat repair and replace kit, like a, a, a little toolbox of electronics parts, um, wires, um, and mechanic, you know, extra wrenches and things that would make my life easier if something didn't work. So that kind of goes over from vacation to, to, to tournaments. Um, you're also going to want to spend your March, well, March and April, doing boat maintenance instead of fishing. Because you're, if you sign up for a, even if you sign up for the five tournaments in your walleye league that summer, it, it, you're going to spend waste sometime on this boat maintenance because you're going to really care about that boat working. Now, you would do that if, if, if I mean, your vacation time matters too. Um, the next one, but you don't need a fancy boat. I mean, most of the tournaments I go to, people have very average boats. You can tell people that have the new ones, and then they usually sell them to the tournament anglers that have the secondary ones, and the secondary ones get sold to the third people, and oftentimes the third people beat the first people. So... <laughs> You know, the fish do not care. Yeah, the the fish don't care uh, what boat you drive. So there's certain elements uh, uh, to that that you know it's it's more of a want than a need in most cases for sure. Right, right. Now the fancy thing about Bassmasters, I have a tiller, a fiberglass walleye boat that you know a, a decent boat, and they wouldn't let me use it in the national tournament because it didn't have a steering wheel. So we had to rent a bass boat. <laughs> down there. So you do need the right kind of boat. You need a boat that can handle the conditions, right? It, walleye tournaments occur in 40-mile-an-hour winds. Regularly in 20 to 30-mile winds around here, you better have a boat that can handle it because you are you paid to go fishing that day. You can't just stay at home. So, uh, you know, I think that probably covers the boat part of it. Um, I did, it, very interesting because I've been covering tournaments and tournament anglers through the rise of the live scope. Tournament anglers at the top level are innovators. They grab technology, spend the time to know how to use it to gain that edge, and then they put that edge into tournaments and win money by being further off the edge than everyone else. And that has been fascinating on LiveScope because the, the tournament I, you know, the NWTs I went to, um, there was a national championship NWT at, at Devil's Lake. And, um, the guy, the guy won using LiveScope, uh, looking under culverts, and uh, you know no one else was doing that. <laughs> so, um, you know, another person also was using flip bobbers and using sight imaging to watch fish swim by and flip bobbers. Now that's a skill that you don't learn overnight. So, um, in any case, uh, you know that that really kind of sums up to me the top level are the innovators. They're they're up there because they come up with something new. So. You're either competitive or innovative or both at the very top levels. All right. The next piece of equipment that I found myself building during tournament seasons is a hook replacement box. 
you hear about this, there's a button on Tackle Warehouse. You want to upgrade your treble hook. And it's not about upgrading. It's about adjusting for the conditions and having everything at hand to do, do what you want to do on the water. So if you get home after practice, you're like, I need a red treble hook in the middle or I need to upgrade it because my jerk bait is sinking or, or rising. You know, I want, I want to have the tools to be that level of fisherman. So I found myself never when I was guiding, never when I was, you know, fun fishing, did I decide I needed a hook box of this detail. <laughs> but basically I've gone to Eagle Claw, Gamagatsu, Berkeley, VMC, pick one of those and buy two or three of everything in every color. You have a nice hook box and you're ready for those conditions. Now you don't have to. I've been beat by people that don't have one of these. But the more you do tournaments, the more you see the reasons for these, the details come to, to, to play. Now, I don't put all this stuff in my boat. I have a boat set a box and a, and a tournament walleye bag that has a bunch of, the, you know, and so my tournament rig is different. And I've spent a lot of time sorting those out because I can't carry 40 tackle boxes on my boat. And how do you manage what you need for the day versus a long weekend? But really organizing that stuff. And, and the, my big finds are the clam ice jig box for, for bass hooks uh, and for walleye jigs and for parts and pieces for float, uh, flip bobbers. Um, those little boxes can really hold and organize those hooks better than and letting those hooks fly around in a little box. And then the slim Plano um, box, um, I like the edge one for my hooks, um, but they also make thin um, boxes as well for, for swivels and other, other parts and pieces. And I just have more of those than I ever thought I needed. Um, a box specifically for weights and rigs, floats, jigs, you know, all those specific boxes I have a normal, like one day on the water box, and then I have the tournament version, which is bigger and more detailed, and I can pick and choose from. Now, that also means in March and April, I'm refilling those boxes and rebuying and repurchasing and restocking, and it's, you know, by the end of August, by the time that the tournaments are over, all of these things are a complete mess. The next, next breakthrough is the 1,000-yard spool of line, because you're probably fishing more than you were before, you know, because you're, you're doing all these pre-fishing days and the tournament days, so you're spending more time in the water. You don't want any hesitation. As soon as that line is annoying or short or not working for you, you want no hesitation that you can put more on. You also get 30% more for the, the price, and you also, you, you don't ever get like a third of a spool left that doesn't fit on your reel. So you know you're a tournament angler win. <laughs> <laughs> you have a thousand yard schools of all your favorite lines. And then you care whether you put them in your boat or not, because you want to keep them out of the sunlight and heat so they last. You also buy what you really like. You may or may get a discount and maybe on sale, but hey, you really trust Sunline or Berkeley or some specific brand. You're willing to go out of the way because you just, and, and this comes with time on the water, you've tried them all, and this one's your favorite. And you're like, hey, I'm going to buy a 1,000 yards of it. I'm going to use it up. Then you have a spooling station that helps you re-spool this stuff. 
And then you have a leader box in your boat because you're, you're retying these leaders more often than just when you use them up. And I think that that level of commitment for hooks and lines and sinkers is really really came about when I started doing tournaments. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. I would agree with that 110% where, you know, even if I'm not fishing a tournament, the conversations I have on this podcast with, ang- you know, tournament anglers, it's it's very inspirational to me and I learn a lot from it. And even if I'm not fishing a tournament, I've done so few that like, but so, but every time I go out fishing nowadays, I really just try to have at least some portion of a mindset there where I do, I have my tackle boxes that are overly organized and heaping with way too much stuff because you just never know when the nice fish are going to be in the rocks and you're going to be losing tackle but the decision is to stay there and figure them out and keep losing tackle until you figure them out because that's just that's just how the mentality has changed you know and uh yeah and and then buying the things that you trust in is definitely a huge thing. Like all, everything that we have invested in our boats and in our time to go and our equipment, um, there's just there's enough proven equipment out there that it's not worth. In most cases, you know, uh, it's not worth just spending your entire budget on things that aren't gonna last. You know, so like yeah, like the to me, I am I'm I'm. Definitely still growing in that department, but I am totally there. I have way more stuff than I ever would have imagined I would have ever have cared about, say, 10 years ago. You know, if you were to talk to me 10 years ago and say, this is uh, the stuff that you're going to have, I'd be like, yeah, no chance. And even right now, I feel like I'm nowhere near where I should be. So it's kind of wild. Yep. And that's that's all going to, these are all good habits that you're building. Because you're, you're even if you're getting last in the tournament, and I like the idea of the mindset. That's huge. I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my list. <laughs> All right. So the next thing is how to break down the lake um, before the tournament. Write down what you know, seasonal details, water temps, water flows, water levels. You know, and at this point, you know, look at a map, pick a spot, look at the map, and and that'll that'll take out 20 to 30 percent of the water, or focus you on part of the lake. Um, that, that you should be looking at. Maybe cross something off. I mean, that, that's usually my goal with, at the very beginning is to cross something off. 
And then the next time is I figure out the number of pre-fish days that I have. Uh, for this national tournament, we had three pre-fish days um, as early as we want, uh, first light to 4.30. And, uh, you know, figure out how fast you can fish a spot or fish an area. Divide that out and you get, you know, 9 to 20 spots that you can probably probably hit and you want to try out. And, and, and that will help you organize your gear and maybe say, hey, this spot I want to do this and this spot I want to do that. And a lot of the spots, maybe you're just going to use your sonar because, remember, you didn't sign up for this tournament to catch fish. You signed up to find them. So um, set a timer when you get to your spot so that you keep moving. Uh, the worst tournaments are where I bogged down, either trying to having fun catching fish, or I, I tried to figure out something out that turned out to be nothing. And um, then I felt like I had used up too much of my pre-fish time and I hadn't explored something that I wanted to do. And then eventually that's usually where the tournament was won. So um, it's a, I think the key change is that if the magic is there, you can figure it out in your 40 minutes or an hour that you're on that spot. You put down your slip bobbers and they don't move, they're not going to move. Maybe there's an evening bite, maybe there's a midnight bite, but the tournament isn't at midnight. If you're there, and maybe sometimes you come back in the afternoon when there's wind or something, but when the magic is there, you will figure it out. So um, we split up our presentations. Angler one has an aggressive or reaction presentation. Angler two has a finesse presentation. So we're always trying out that part of the equation. Um, one out of five fish will hit something that's just going fast. You don't need a lot of fish to be clued in on where they are and what they're eating. You need that first bite. And you can't afford to hang out in areas that aren't going to give you those bites. So that's, that's a lot of the bass you know, pros move really fast, even in cold water, because they have a 50,000 acre reservoir and they have to get bites fast. And, and they, they even complain about it. They wish they could go slower, but you just can't afford to go slow if you're not in the right place. And so then, and, and, you know, for walleye, that, that always means, you know, start with crankbait. If you can go one, you know, 1.5 to 3 miles an hour, even on a river, even in cold water, and catch a fish somewhere, right? That's then the reason to slow down. And then spinners and bottom bounces are 1 to 1.8 miles an hour. Then you get down to windy rigs, casting, and then you get down to slip bobbers. And that's, you know, obviously slow, but slip bobbers can be fast if you stop in a spot for 10 minutes and then pick them up and move. It can be slow if you wait two hours and don't get a bite. <laughs> So it comes back to that idea that if if they are there, you will know what's going on. If you miss it, that's the risk. You know, if you got if you get, you'd rather have 20 spots that you tried and found a few things that tell you the other 40 spots on the lake that are really going. Yeah, this this is like this is like the biggest topic in tournament angling. Like this is like the this is like the core right here. Like this is the section that we really need to like, you really need to pay attention to because this is where the decision making and your time management uh, is really sort of explained because that is at the end of every tournament, those are the million dollar questions that, you know, very few people get even remotely correct, even at the highest level, managing your time and, just 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 understanding the bite 
enough or, or, or the, you know, we're still talking pre-fishing, but like, you know, as you're pre-fishing, learning as much as you possibly can about that bite. So on tournament day, you just, you know how to make decisions in a timely manner is just so huge. And if nothing pops in practice, keep practicing. There's no reason in the tournament that you need to not be looking for fish. <laughs> because you, 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 you struck out on your first 20 spots. They, there's not that many spots left in the lake. They've got to be somewhere. So that's, uh, that's probably a good start. Now let me walk you through how we broke down Lake Hartwell. So we went, you know, I have these two junior high kids. They love fishing. We're waking up at 4.30 in the morning, getting on the lake early. We have three days to practice for this national tournament. Um, we, the first thing we did was we, we found we had, we did our research, bought some maps, and we figured out they're either going to be large mouths eating bluegills, they're going to be on deep brush piles in the middle of summer, or they're going to be chasing herring on long points. And, and the brush pile bite eventually won the tournament. So we weren't far off. We knew the bites that would win going in. And that's from, I don't know how many videos, we watched videos for six weeks. <laughs> Once we found out we were going to this tournament, all three of us were like sending videos to each other. Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see that? Um, we called the, uh, the Lake Hartwell Dam and Hydro Hotline every day for two weeks um, to get an understanding of the water levels, the change in water levels, and when they were pulling water or not pulling water. So every dam has a release schedule. Every dam has a, a, a water level measurement, usually the Forest Service or the Geological Survey or the Water um, Department or the Corps of Engineers keeps track of all the information. We wrote it down. These are all good homework projects for these junior high kids. They did a great job um, doing all this homework, I told them to. <laughs> um, we wrote down the temps and the wind directions um, to keep track of fronts. Um, to keep track of maybe the wind was affecting a part of the lake where all the fish would be or the plankton and the, and the bait. Uh, for two weeks, we wrote it down. Um, we'd watched, read all those uh, details on what lures had won other tournaments. Um, we bought enough lures to have a collection. I probably bought too many because we didn't use them all, but you need, you need local lures. You need lures that work in that area. There's no blueback herring in Kansas. So I did not have... <laughs> the lures I needed. Um, but you only need enough to have some options. You know, when I go to Minnesota, we don't have perch in Kansas either. I have a Minnesota box filled with perch stuff. I now have a blueback herring box. I got a trout box because walleyes eat trout in Colorado. So anyways, um, the next thing we did was we divided the lake into three parts. Um, up in the, the inlets, down by the dam, and then kind of in the middle. The middle has a bunch of islands and a bunch of current because the two rivers come together and they kind of neck down. Um, so we got there and we picked a very long cove in the first part of the of the main lake. Um, and that long cove, we fished from the entry to the cove to the exit because we know at this time of the year, the bass are moving from their spawning ground towards the main lake. And if you start at the spawning grounds and move out, you may never catch them. But if you go towards where they're moving, you will always intersect them somewhere. We started catching fish in the middle of the, of the long cove, somewhere where the water goes from about 12 feet down to 6 feet. So very much middle of the cove. Now, we, we really 
we proved that pattern many times the rest of the, the three days of practice. We probably didn't even need to. Every cove we went to, the fish were in the middle. And that's, that's kind of cool. Some reservoirs aren't like that. They aren't that predictable, and walleyes aren't always that predictable. But, you know, some of these big bass lakes, it's, it's really great because that pattern, you know, we, we knew that pattern in the first 45 minutes, maybe hour of fishing. Um, the next one, our other bite, was these herring chasers. So we found four long points that I had in the list. I said, we're going to fish these no matter what. Um, they had wind on them. We drove around enough. We had our live scope down. We saw some float, you know, suspended fish on some of them. Some of them were completely barren. We got a bite on the top water, but we didn't get the fish in. So we don't know if those fish are bigger. We know they're less easy to catch because we only caught one in an hour instead of the five we caught by the dock. Um, but uh, we don't know if it was bigger, and that probably hurt us later on, although I don't think we actually land, ever landed a fish fishing these points, and we probably fished about 15 of them. Um, what we didn't do was look for brush, the deep brush piles. What we should have done is, now that we found the fish in the cove, we should have driven, driven that part of the cove. Now, you don't have to go from the beginning to the end and find every brush pile. The bass or the walleye aren't going to go very far if there's a change in temps or something like that. Now, again, walleye might move further than bass, but once you know one little hint, and I hope this story, you know, gives you hope. Once you have one hint, and this is this is classic pattern fishing. When you have that pattern, you can go to the next part of the lake, and it it should still work. Now, they might be bigger fish, they might be longer fish, they might be skinnier fish in different parts of the lake. They might bite easier. It might be darker water. I have lots of stories about how we were always at the wrong end of the lake for a tournament. But it'll, these, these are easy ways to take a 55,000-acre lake with 300 miles of shoreline and in three days be able to, you know, compete. Um, so, yeah, in the first four hours, we knew about 80% of what we were going to learn throughout the next two days. And I think that is a tournament skill that uh, that, that can – only, you know, really be gained by, by forcing yourself to go to these new lakes and challenging yourself. And imagine if you, if you signed up for the whole, like, five tournaments in the summer. I mean, and you repeated that experience. How, how much better you would be at all these, all these little skills. Oh, 10 times, 20 just, times, just yeah. Just local league. I mean, I, I play a lot of golf. I never got better until I signed up for a league. Same deal. Totally. And someone took my money. Right? I didn't win the league, but I, I got better. And because I went every week, because I felt like practicing because people were beating me, and, and so on. Yep. So um, at, at Lake Hartwell, so day two, we went to the whole we went to the dam, whole other end of the lake. Um, my buddy Mike Iconelli was in this tournament with his kids. Uh, his kid, his kid, I think is uh, 10 or 11 years old. Um, we saw him at the dam, so we weren't too far off, right? Um we're big dam fishermen because at Kansas, that's usually where all the bass are. Um, guaranteed, we caught five fish in the first hour. So we knew, again, in, in an hour, we knew we had a place we could go and catch a limit of small fish. So that, that was useful. We went to a couple other, we went to some of those points. We didn't catch anything. That trend is continuing. Maybe we're not good at it. Maybe we don't know how to do it because we're from Kansas. Other people caught fish on points, I'm sure. But we went into this cove. The coves by the dam are not as deep. 
they, they allow those fish that are in the deeper water chasing the herring to sometimes show up at the docks. That's, that's a key part of some of these herring lakes. And, and probably the same up, you know, with tulipies. They, they, they might be eating perch most of the time, but they might go chase a tulipie here and there. Um, so we went to a couple of these docks. We went to the first cove, one cast, one fish. Boom. Our pattern worked in all these coves. The fish was bigger than most of the fish we caught the day before. So this is the reason to try another end of the lake. Same pattern, slightly bigger fish. Went to the next cove, and this is where the fate of our tournament was sealed. There was a dock that had a brush pile behind it, had a drop-off on it. We didn't know all this stuff. We pulled up onto it. We looked, and all we saw were three- and four-pound bass. This one dock. We looked under the dock with our live scope. It is packed with bluegill. Like, there's bait. I mean, this is, we're like, whoa, this is not your normal dock. This is a tournament-winning dock. So we fished it a little bit, you know, we looked around, but you can't sit there and catch them. You didn't sign up to catch the fish, you signed up to find them. So we went to other places the rest of the day. We, we tried to work on these brush piles, tried to work on these points. We found a brush pile that was loaded with bass. Just like a brush pile in Kansas would be loaded with crappie, the brush piles in Hartwell were loaded with bass. Now, we couldn't get them to bite. They weren't very big, but... We saw what everyone was excited about and what, you know, why that was a pattern that might win the tournament. Um, day three, we went to the middle of the lake, which is very current oriented, lots of islands, lots of points, um, a place where the, the, it necks down so that when they are drawing power, there's going to be a lot of current in that part of the lake. That is going to draw bigger fish, maybe the same pattern that we've been talking about, but it's going to have bigger fish than other areas of the lake. We didn't get them to bite there. Um, but we're also playing with house money. We had a way to get a limit and we had a big bass spot. Sometimes you get through practice and you don't have any of those things. You just know where the fish are. <laughs> so, um, long story short, um, we caught a, a limit in the first hour on the dam. We went to the big fish spot. We never caught any of the big fish. So we had to scramble. We did catch a, a fairly decent-sized fish on the dam and another big fish when we gave up, finally gave up on the big fish dock and went and scrambled to some new riprap and bridge and other areas, and we caught a, a, a fish that, that kicked our limit up to a mid-sized limit. And we finished in the middle of the pack. But it was so cool to watch these kids because by the end of that tournament, they knew how to break down a big lake. They weren't afraid of it. We had driven 14 hours across the country to an area that had bait that we'd never seen before. We caught fish. We caught fish using new stuff. And then the, the breakthrough for them was, oh, yeah, these knots are important. And next year, David can't tie them for us. <laughs> so they spent half their time the last day and, and on some of the way home tying knots and practicing and getting good because they're all excited for next year. For next year. They got a whole year to practice that stuff, but that's so cool that they were ready all, well, right away. Well, it starts in October, so they have two months. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the next season starts in October. <laughs> right on. That's awesome. That's I, awesome. I, I got nine more things to talk about. Let's knock them out. Let's knock them out. All right, so 
some of this is some of these are really cool because because writing articles you hear things like spot on the spot if you don't go and fish a place you know with the focus of catching the biggest fish there with the focus of scanning it and understanding it you know you just kind of fish it and you move to your next favorite spot you never find the spot on the spot but when you are in a tournament and you you maybe you fish an area for four hours because you know the fish are there you start to learn it and grasp it, and you're you're so you use every skill you you have to figure that out. And that's you read it in an article, you don't understand it until you truly go out and dial it in. And and tournaments push you to that level. You you end up comparing presentations and colors. You catch one fish here. How can I catch two? How can I catch thirty? How can I catch three an hour instead of two an hour? How can I catch 20 an hour instead of 10 an hour? So now all of a sudden you've got 10 colors of smile blade. And every time you catch a fish, you change the colors on the rods that weren't catching. Right? It's more of that experiment because you're pushed to get answer that question. Because if you just took your friends out for the day and you caught five and they or 10 and they were happy, they aren't going to put up with you retiring everything. Hooking fish is huge. My friend runs ice fishing tournaments in Colorado. There was a time when the, the, the best fishermen, they, they usually got in the top 10. And there was one tournament, none of them got in the top 10. And they he talked to them afterwards. They said, we had our bites and just not, didn't land them. Landing fish is even more important. You know, losing a fish at the net. You don't care about it. You saw it. Hey, it's a big fish. It's great great experience but in a tournament it's just a different feeling and you immediately you immediately upgrade your hooks you immediately change out your line because you don't want to have this happen again now what what one of the breakthroughs for me was how much work the tournament fishing is so moved here to kansas started doing some wallet tournaments i met some of the locals there you know i'm fishing with them on a regular basis even though i'm not doing the tournament here is their schedule. We got, I think, five tournament days at, in the Kansas, uh, you know, Walleye Club. And, um, but they are starting to fish the week before. So they haul their boat and their, they haul their camper out to the lake the weekend before. And the camper stays out there all week. They fish, they drive their boat back home, work part of the week. <laughs> Then they go back and get another couple of pre-fishing days. So by the time they're doing a local one-day tournament, they might have four to six days on the water at that lake, which may may have been four days of 30-mile-an-hour winds, and they still got out there. It might be four days of 42 degrees because it's April. In Colorado, it regularly was snowing on us pre-fishing. <laughs> but you're out there. So six days of work for one tournament. Then there's usually a week off until the next one. Well, the camper goes to the next place and stays there for the week. They buy a week of camping, and they're only there for the days of the tournament and the pre-fishing because they need to get their camper day, campers there, and the boats there, and do the pre-fishing, et cetera, and so on. And they repeat that every weekend until the season's over. So think about the investment and, again, how much you're going to learn with six days on the water at five major reservoirs in your area 
And not only that, but six days in a row with generally the same conditions, right? You're going to have an April, a May, and a June, and a July tournament. And you are going to dial in those bites and have that experience for the next year and the next year. And, you know, that learning is, is irreplaceable. But think about that commitment that and and these people i mean my friend won three kansas walleye association tournaments and still didn't win the overall title it's sometimes the local tournaments are that tough and the local people are that that good so to wrap this up we've gone through a lot of details 60 some details i count them up you are going to expand your knowledge and push yourself in a way that outstrips the cost. The $300 entry fee, the $50 entry fee, the 20, you know, whatever the entry fee is, $100, you are going to learn more than that than you ever could by buying another $100 worth of lures or $100 worth of anything else. You're going to learn from your competition. You, you ask questions. Don't don't go to the tournament and not ask questions. Don't go to the tournament and not meet someone new. There's always a rules meeting. Sit down and introduce yourself. Say hi. I don't care. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you accidentally sit down against last year's champion. You know that would be that would be great. But in any case, these are very social teams. Now it's, it's not normal. I've been to a lot of dinners where the conversation is all we, all we want to do is talk about fishing, but we can't talk about it because we all have pattern for the next day so it's not normal but it's very efficient you're going to up all the details on your game by by it four times ten times better than you ever thought you would ever get into you're going to have new goals for fishing and what do it for one season you know i was only in that golf league for two seasons i have i have a newfound respect for the sport i learned a lot and I'm never going to go back to as bad as I was before. And that pushing yourself is fantastic. And there's no way to get to that upper intermediate or advanced level. I, I, there probably are some ways, but it is doing tournaments is the fastest way to improve once you get to that point. Now, here's the final thing. I don't care how, how small the fish is. We could weigh in 12-inch bass at Lake Hartwell. And I think we weighed in about two of them out of our out of our six total nothing compares to weighing in a fish nothing it's it's a it's it's a fantastic experience i don't care if you weigh in one fish i don't care if you catch one big fish one five small fish weighing in a fish whether it's a live tournament or the last wallet tournament the tournaments in kansas are all catch photo release we use the fish donkey app the photo of my dad holding the 26-inch walleye is, is like one of the photos of my life because we were hooting and hollering. Every fish we caught at Lake Hartwell, we were hooting and hollering. There were people on the road fishing on the bank. They were looking at us. They were yelling for us. They knew it was a big tournament. The thrill of weighing in a fish, the thrill of catching a two-and-a-half-pounder that's an upgrade in a national tournament at age 13 is priceless and I'll, I'll end it at that hopefully something in here sunk, sinks in 
I'm sure you'll get some comments on this, maybe things that people would like to add or argue with, but uh, it seems like a good starter list for why to do tournaments. You know, make no mistake about it. This is a promotion. This is a recommendation. This is a suggestion. Like, find a way to do it in your own way. I couldn't recommend it more for 99% of anglers, uh, 100% of anglers that are on the journey to getting better. You know, and, and that's what I feel like every podcast that I do is a conversation where I'm just asking questions because I want to learn and get better. And people that listen to it can hopefully relate to it. Hopefully it, you know, jars questions, uh, you know, or they hear answers. They just get ideas that they're going to put into play with the intention that it's going to make them a more dangerous angler the next time they go out. Um, You know, for me, talking about breaking down water, uh, the things you say about, um, you know, being organized and, you know, the, the details of the gear, uh, the, the knowledge, you know, uh, understanding food sources, you know, you're, you're going to break down forage bases on these bodies of water. And sometimes the most available forage on a lake can be drastically different on lakes that aren't that far apart. You could fish a lake that's five miles, 10 miles down the road from your home body of water that you feel like you know really well. And going five to 10 miles down the road, especially like, you know, anywhere in the Midwest where it's, there's, there's lots of lakes, there's lots of stuff going on. It can be a wildly different fishing experience from a competitive standpoint or from a bigger fish standpoint, like breaking it down for the big fish, um, and tournaments absolutely show are the showcase for that. They are like that's the deal. Like sign up for a derby and go find out. And yeah, like definitely don't have expectations that it's going to make you rich or famous, um, or that it or that anybody's going to worry about your feelings uh, when you bomb. You know, especially early well, on. And for me, I always felt like I always felt like when I wasn't as good of an angler that they were taking my money, I never realized I was paying to learn from the experience. And that's a huge divide. I mean, if you do get good enough or you happen to win a few, you're going to win some money, but it's not going to pay for it. (laughs) No, no, no. But yeah, like you say, you're paying to learn. Absolutely. Well, I love it. I think it's great. You know, like the, 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 the 60, the 60 details of tournament angling, uh, I, I love it. You know, the 62 uh, uh, facts of tournament angling, uh, you know, however you put it. I love it. I just, I, I love your organization with it all. You have time to think about this stuff very well thought out. I think it's very relatable to anybody that's ever experienced um, a tournament in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, to me, so much of my passion and interest and curiosity in tournament fishing is entirely based around getting better. So if I bomb in a tournament, if I sign up for a tournament and at the end of that tournament, I have exponentially, you know, grown in specific skill sets that I intended on working for that tournament, whatever it is. And I grow as an angler and I grow my skill set. That is so well worth it to me. There's no question about it. And eventually, it might change. Eventually, it might become where I need to start finishing in the money. I need to get a high finish here sooner or later. But right now, 
I'm, I feel like I'm very, I'm very much an amateur. I'm very much an intermediate at best angler. And, uh, it's all about the learning for me. And there's just no question that when you put, when you put a little bit into, when you, when you put yourself out there a little bit, uh, stick your neck out in a tournament and you actually go into it, um, with intentions and you put the work in, you get so much out of it. I truly believe that. So I appreciate this conversation, Dave. I really do. Uh, as far as wrapping it up, though, let everybody know where they can get in touch with you or maybe find some of your content or whatever it is. We'll just kind of sign it off there. Promote yourself and your stuff. Hey, no problem. Uh, in Fisherman Magazine, you can still get subscriptions to the physical magazine. Uh, there, there's Some of the articles go online, um, not all of them. Um, but you know, it's still a great magazine run by great people. Um, and it's, it's amazing that you can still find it in the grocery store. Uh, I went to the grocery store the other day and and there was a catfish guide, the walleye guide and the, and the recent magazine in there. And I had articles in all three. And, uh, I thought that was, you know, that's still really cool to, to see something in print. Um, I certainly don't, you know, most of these articles take me 40 or 60 hours of work to kind of research. They're kind of research projects. They're not, Hey, this bite is good over here, and you make a couple of calls and write it together. So I only do a handful of them a year. Um, but on top of that, uh, you know, obviously I've been out doing the tournament fishing with my nephew, and which is fantastic. Um, lots of applause to Bassmaster for the work they're doing. You know, I talked talk to Mike Iconelli at, at Hartwell, and he's like, "Yeah, my kid at age 11 has done two national tournaments." Mike Iconelli was fishing out of a crawdad boat. I did an article with him about that boat. That he got when he was 18, and he did his first first tournament ever when he was 18. And his kid is seven years younger and has done two national tournaments. I, I mean, that just, that pushing in, you know, that sport is that is the growth of the sport. Uh, last weekend, I think there's 400 boats in the high school national championships. 400 teams of two traveled up to 20 hours, you know, to get there and do that two days of tournament plus the practice days. That's a lot of tourism money. That's a lot of effort to gain that experience. And that demand is out there. So uh, I, I really only have one. Uh, I have a Facebook page called Kansas Fishing Reality, where I post the lures that I use and the fish that I catch. Uh, I don't always post exactly where I went, um, but it's to help people through that detail of, hey, you know, I've got a thousand lures. Which one should I be using now or which one's working in, in Kansas? Now, it doesn't apply necessarily outside of Kansas, um, but, you know, you can see some of the trends and some of how I fish. Uh, and I call it reality because I listen. You know, if I didn't catch anything, I'd tell you. If I caught 40 or 100, I'd tell you. So um, I, that's that's kind of my re- rebellion against people that, you know, go out and do 20 hours of YouTube and edit it down into 10 minutes, and it looks like you had a fantastic day. Um, but uh, not a lot of promotion there. I used to work for some other magazines, but magazines are, are somehow going out of business so um haven't done that a lot lately and um i'm, I'm excited to do more tournaments i mean these, these my nephew's gonna grow up we're gonna do you know four years of high school maybe then it'll be you know watch him in college and you know that whole career path is there but the 200 people that were fishing in this national tournament you know a hand one might turn pro the rest are getting something out of it more than they put into it, and it was worth their trip. No one, no one I talked to said it was wasn't worth it <laughs> in the end. 
and, and truthfully, every tournament I've done has kind of been the same way, even if I got last. And that's probably the whole story about this article. So, all right. That's, that's it. it, man. That's it. We can wrap it up. I appreciate your time, Dave. I really do, man. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's OahiWalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast.